Crock Elite, a podcast about no effects. We're doing coaster today, everybody. We are, and we do have Punk Rock Elite coasters. They are more like beer mats. The sort of compressed card, sort of cardboard fibres. I've got, I've got my stack on my desk. There you go, Red. Evidence, mm-hmm. Red's. I gave Red a stack of them the other day because we met up in the real life. We'll get to that. But <laughs> uh, yeah, Sticker Mule. I don't know if you're familiar. They're an Italian-based printing company. Hashtag not spawn. <laughs> And they said, would you like coasters? And I said, I would like coasters because I do a no effects podcast. So I paid well under the odds for 50 coasters and they are beer mats, which is fine as well because, you know, beer and no effects go together pretty well too. So uh, that's exciting. So if we if we encounter you in the real world, you might end up with them or we might just put them out in the... Uh, in the in the sandbar at Manchester Punk Festival in March because we've been confirmed for it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really looking forward to that as well. I've just yeah. been uh, spending the last couple of days putting together the lineup and it's mm-hmm. all mostly books. We just need to get headliners in now and I think I know who I'm going to approach. Nice. Um, we've got some friends of the show uh, mm-hmm. performing. Uh, no Money in the Bank will be doing a set. All right. Um, and Ali Bryce will be Hooray. to do. Oh, that's exciting! Oh, that is nice because um, we've not met Ali in in person. I haven't, anyway. Yeah, me neither. Yeah, and, and haven't been able to uh, gig on the same lineup as him. No. And I just thought it'd be a nice opportunity for fans of the podcast. If you are at Manchester Punk Festival, uh, the comedy stage will be filled with uh, past guests and uh, future loves. Past guests and future loves. I don't know. I just That's sort very of, sweet. Yeah. I've been writing a lot of copy the last few days. I was going to um, say, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, it sounds like you were trying that on. It's uh, <laughs> it's it's going back to the Mark Maron impression. But um, the thing I like about Mark Maron is that because he is a comedian, whenever he's talking without having pre-written, he goes through different drafts in real time. Yeah. He goes, I liked it. I enjoyed it. I thought it was good. I found the quality to be hot. He's just trying on different ways of saying the exact same thing to work out which one's the best one. Yeah. And I find it a very appealing uh, uh, approach to uh, all those kind of things. So He is sort of like a walking thesaurus, really. He, uh, he, he, he likes to get things uh, accurate. He, he, li- he doesn't like being misunderstood, and I can identify yeah. with that. So he likes to process every communicative option before settling and i think that that is a uh, a good thing to do i've also been reading adam bloom's book how to unlock your or how to find your inner comic genius or whatever mm-hmm. um and so there's writing exercises and stuff like that in there it's good if you're interested in comedy it's very interesting it'll ruin it for you because you'll be looking out for all of the uh, inner workings but uh, <laughs> definitely, definitely fun to do. So yeah, so is that you've been? Oh, because you've been doing pantomime and work-related writings. Yeah, like panto stuff, and then like uh, been working a lot on uh, our comedy agency that mm. me and my partner run, that you yourself are signed to. I am. Um, and yeah, just been writing a lot of copy, been sorting out the social media. 
uh, Fruitcake UK across all social media. Fruitcake with two O's. Mm-hmm. Um, you can find us on YouTube, Insta, Facebook, etc. Was the uh, the two O's in Fruitcake, was that to prevent it just coming up with a lot of recipe blogs? <laughs> yeah, kind of. It's also, you know, it's like, um, it's so the obviously we don't come up when you're just looking for a, a lovely recipe for a fruitcake, yes. but it's also so that like the social media handles were available. My granny used to make a lovely fruitcake. <laughs> uh, that's neither here nor there. Well, it's certainly <laughs> not here anymore. She's, uh, she's long gone, sadly. Um, so yeah, no, that's good. No, we, we met up in the real, didn't we? We did. Yeah. yeah. And I'm so glad that we, uh, we got that sorted actually, because we've, we've, we've done some headshots. We've, we did a photo shoot. Um, yes. yeah, like, uh, I'm, I'm really glad that that's, that's sorted. We're just what, waiting on the contact sheet now. And then what we was, can... what was that, uh, Nelly's full name? The lovely photographer. Nelly Naylor. Nelly Naylor. There so basically like, it's like if, um, if, if Stan Lee had invented a, an, <laughs> an LGBT photographer based in Sheffield, he would have drawn Nellie Naylor. She's yeah. wonderful. He would have got someone to draw Nellie Naylor and then claimed he invented her. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Yeah, actually, yeah. Now I That's... think about it, much more accurate. <laughs> I really like the way I invented Steve Ditko's characters. Um, <laughs> don't at me, nerds. Um, but yeah, but either, no matter how she ended up there, I'm very pleased she did because she was lovely. I don't care for my own visage. I don't. Uh, care for my image to be recorded particularly it's not a it's not a thing I really enjoy doing I understand the necessity uh, on occasion but she she was great really Mm -hmm. really made it not horrible at all so 10 out of 10 no notes so if you're in um, in the Sheffield area and you want some good photos taken by someone who is good Nellie Naylor. Absolutely. Find her on all the socials and stuff. So, yeah, so we finally got, because uh, unfortunately she got COVID last time we were due to have a, uh, a photo shoot. So we're just waiting for the, yes. what, do they, what do they call them? What do they call the... The contact sheet. Is that what they're called? Contact sheet. Mm. And, and that's we'll where they they just the give you the, the thumbnails of little... Yes. The little ones. And then you go, I want that one, but high quality. Yeah, exactly. Um, and we did some with, with Kate, with my partner. So we'll have some for fruitcake. We'll have some for panto. We'll have some for comedy and for the podcast. Yep. We got a lot done. <laughs> um, and it was mainly um, mainly going, I wonder if it'll keep raining when we're outside doing fun. And it didn't. We were <laughs> no, very, very fortunate. Uh, yeah. And then we had nice time, ate some dindins, and yeah, it was... It was a good and refreshing change. And apparently you got a contact high from me smoking weed in my flat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, did, I, did, I didn't realise that. I haven't, I haven't been high in like, fuck, over 15 years. Um, <laughs> but also I'd never, I'd never got high off of like vaporised weed before because uh, yeah. I was always, uh, always a spliff guy um, when I was a guy. Um, it's been that long. <laughs> I haven't smoked weed since I was a man, so uh, that's, that's uh, good, isn't it? But um, yeah, I stopped off to get some petrol, and before, and I didn't even realise I'd smashed a fries peppermint cream just without even realising it. 
not really a lot to say about that. I won't be going back, but it was uh, it was it was nice to you know not have a uh, what do they call it um, uh, involving oneself in a whitey. Yeah, didn't do that. So you know, but we're uh, we're here to talk about coaster today. So uh, this is exciting because this is your choice of album numero uno. Yeah, I'm still. I think I'm a little bit on the fence at the moment. Like, right. um, because it, it is the one that I said was my favorite at the start when we first started this podcast project, and then I've started to like drift towards wolves a little bit. Mm-hmm. But then on a re-listen, I am like, oh no, this is pretty great. So I, I'm not. I'm not 100, percent but yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites. So when I when I sort of say it's your favorite, I, I'm just going by like the the co-pilot episodes we did where we yeah, yeah yeah where we before going back and really scrutinizing no effects output we sort of <laughs> we you know we just sort of said well what what are currently you know our favorite things and yes. we'll see whether they change by the time we get to the end of it all so yeah i think uh, i remember enjoying this chat i think i was quite surprised by coaster i think i'd dismissed it lightly and ended up enjoying it more but we'll find out i could i could well be wrong because i haven't listened back to the actual episode so as i you know we've recorded these quite far in advance um we're going to be changing things just a slight little bit i think we're going to have fewer interviews than normal this side of christmas sure because you're going to be essentially uh afk for two months or a month and a half yeah a month and a half yeah and that's going to make it tricky and you're going to be on like vocal rest because you're going to be yeah. doing that eight a week matinee wednesday and saturday day off sunday i mean it, it, it sounds you know, really kind of vibe pathetic but I, I did it last year and last year was the first year I, I didn't lose my voice during the run so i think i'll probably stick to those tactics again it's yeah, it, it is one way of preserving your voice by, by not using it. So, um, And to be honest, when you're here, I talk enough as it is. People aren't going to want that with you in absentia. So I think <laughs> we're going to um, probably record the intros as well. We're going to put out all of our stuff that we have. Because uh, we have up to up to double album, maybe even slightly further in the can so we're going to push those out there'll be one or two little special episodes as well but um we're going to by christmas we, we should have all of the major no effects releases and a couple of other things maybe as well and then we will come back and we will start looking at some of the curios some of the uh longer form stuff they did tv show and stuff like that uh, and the book and have more interviews and things like that mm-hmm. Because when did we start this nonsense? <laughs> when did we? When was the first episode put out? You'd have thought that we'd have remembered something like this, but <clears throat> maybe not. I mean, oh, the thirteenth of March. Wow, that long ago. I was going to say May. That's crazy. May, May, May. On the first of May, we were already talking about S and M Airlines. Crazy. Yeah, I know. We finished. We we finished May. Uh, with the post Leeds gig chat and of course and Karina Danike, of course we did. So yeah, absolutely. So we've had uh, 
May was May was uh, a golden era for us. Um, but yeah, March we uh, we started this. So in fact, it's sort of pretty much Easter to Christmas. We've uh, we'll have done all of NoFX's major releases in, and we'll be talking about other stuff. But it means that we can concentrate more on like lining up um, some interviews for to do in January to to get sent out to you. So we'll we won't see you over Christmas and New Year. But why would you want to spend Christmas and New Year with us anyway? That's ridiculous. Go and be with people you know in the real world. Uh, that's uh, an exciting thing to do. <clears throat> so I suppose we should really jump into Coaster, shouldn't we? Absolutely, we should. All right, here it is. I wish I had somewhere to put this drink. Oh, uh, okay, yeah, sure. I'm just going to um... have to stand here holding it like some kind of drink holder sure yeah if, if, if it's getting warm red it's getting warm i know um uh, i don't know Ooh, what about this um this upturned cd wait a second i don't even know what's on this cd oh wait i do it's my drink <laughs> yes good so uh that is uh, however, um, unlike the cover to Coaster, it is not some weird retro-looking glass with uh, whatever's in it, um, some foul whiskey, I would imagine. Yeah, it looks like a whiskey glass, doesn't it? It does, yes. The glass looks looks fine. There's a strange veneer under it. Uh, and then the, the, the NoFX Coaster thing, it looks like an old liquor label. Um I mean, yep. we, we've we've jumped straight into the artwork, but I do think it's a really, it's not your usual no effects artwork. Coaster. No, it's um, it's sort of. I mean, they sort of do. Th- Sometimes it's highly themed. I'm thinking mainly heavy petting zoo. Yeah, which is a pun turned into a foul piece of uh, oil painted pornography. Um, <laughs> and this one is. Um, this one is sort of themed artwork, whereas you couldn't accuse Wolves in Wolves Clothing, um, mm-hmm. uh, So Long and Thanks for All the Shoes, yeah. uh, Punk and Droblick. All of those are sort of, what? Pump Up the Valum is sort of semi. That, anyway, sorry, this is, uh, this, is a, this is a whole episode we could be indulging in. Uh, we're talking about <laughs> Coaster today, their album from 19, sorry, 19, listen to me, 2000. And nine. I'm like, I'm really looking forward to this uh, episode. I've really yes. enjoyed re-listening to the album. Mm. Would I be right in saying that this is... Because I, I mentioned to Kate, my partner earlier, that I, I I don't think a lot of people love this album. But I also, I don't think a lot of people hate this album. I would say this is a lot of people's least favourite No Effects album. But not necessarily... A bad album in a lot of people's it, eyes. It sort of appears at the midpoint of um, favourites mm. to or best to worst or favourite to least favourites. Um, yeah, maybe the least favourite before they start going. Yeah, I don't really like that one. Maybe yes, of course, because there is some like through particularly through like the interviews we've had and everything. It seems like double album and single album don't have as much love as the rest of their catalogue. I think that that is the case. Yeah. But, um, I mean, this one, uh, I mean, 
see, Rock Sound gave it eight out of ten. All mm-hmm. music three out of five stars. Absolutepunk.net, eighty-five percent. So it's sort of got middling <clears throat> to good response. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Then it's not necessarily my perception of it being one of NoFX's least liked albums, but I think you might be right that it's it's considered mid tier by a lot of NoFX fans. I think I think the thing that sticks out about this one is that it's it's probably thought of as oh yeah more than it is anything else i know some mm-hmm. people i don't view for example are very fond of it i don't think there's any sort of standout live favorites from this album yeah you're right maybe we called it america i think that's the closest you get but yeah yeah I, I think you're right um and we called it America and the Quitter are really similar to me in my head. Like yeah. musically, it's got that kind of vibe to both of them. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's an interesting one. I remember when, when this came out, um, it's, um, as you so quite rightly pointed out in the introduction to last week's episode, uh, it's where the, uh, the drink and drugs really come, uh, come to the fore. Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a few songs on here that are very much about um, drug abuse, you know, drinking, um, and we we haven't really seen that from No Effects before this point. Um, Not in such high concentration. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. It's uh, it's an interesting one. I think it was recorded. Um, uh, recorded uh, at Motor, which is Fat Mike's recording studio in San Francisco, produced by Bill Stevenson of The Descendants. Uh, mm-hmm. I think he does pretty much all of their records um, from from here on in. Uh, recorded in November 2008, released on the 28th of April 2009. Uh, it is 12 songs long, half an hour. So... None of the very, very short songs we're used to. The shortest one we have is 1 minute 52. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So this, is, this is virtually a prog album. Well, I mean, I, I think that's what really sets this album apart. I feel like this is... The album is generally more mid-tempo than a lot of what No Effects have done before. Arguably, Heavy Petting Zoo has some mid-tempo stuff. Yeah. But... Because um, I always... like. Album, I, yeah. I um, uh, this has got some tracks on it which I used to when I when I used to play uh, drums. Uh, I, I could play along with a, a few songs on this album, whereas mm. previous No Effects albums I, I struggled to keep up with Sandin's drumming. <laughs> sure, yes, of course, and there's no shame in that. <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, twelve songs, thirty-two minutes, no secret track on here. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think they 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 kept up their um, their pretty good hit rate of uh, opening bangers. Absolutely, yeah. And we were lucky enough to hear this as well at their Leeds show, which I was surprised to hear. I, I didn't expect that we would get the opening track of Coaster. <laughs> it's uh, I think I noted at the time. It's because whenever they're in Leeds, they like to play it because they can start with the Leeds a week. Of course, yes. Yeah. 
So, uh, interestingly enough, on the CD version, it's got Alec Baldwin doing that from Glenn Gary Glenn Ross. Uh, yeah. And on the vinyl, it has Jack Lemmon doing it. Oh, so okay. They have a different sample at the beginning. They do that a couple of times here. But is that because uh, obviously I, I'm I'm rare, like I'm I'm a little bit familiar with the movie. Hmm. Did they record that line twice from two different characters? I um, I think that because it was a play. Ah. Um. So I don't know because I I can't remember. I I I can't, was Jack Lemmon in the movie or was he? Yeah, he was because it, it's yeah, David Mamet. Um, it is, and it. also I think that uh, that piece was added for the um added for the movie the ah. Alec Baldwin character. So it could well just be a different. Uh, it could just be a different quote. That's interesting. It could just be a different bit from Glenn Glack. Glenn, 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 Ga- Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh, yeah. It is a stupid title. Glenn, to be Gary, Glenn Ross. Yeah. I assume Mike only watched it because he thought it was about two different types of whiskey. <laughs> <laughs> it seems seems to be a sort of motivating fact force at this point in NoFX's songwriting career. It, it really does. Like, I know we've spoken about, you know, obviously this album, he starts you know, talking a lot about drug abuse and all of that. That isn't what surprises me as much as the the discussion about alcohol specifically. Because yes. I feel like we know at this point that no effects take drugs recreationally from time to time. But it's the the love of alcohol, which I didn't see coming on this album. It seems like, because I think Mike was always, always liked to drink. Yeah. He wasn't, you know, he was like, oh, yeah, but booze is fine. Uh, he just didn't do drugs until he was like in his 30s, which I imagine he's comfortably in by now. Yeah. At this point, I mean, I, he's like 56 years old. But at this point, he's sort of, you know, comfortably in his 30s and um, and has started doing drugs. He is uh, divorced now. Uh-huh. And uh, poss- or possibly married to uh, Soma Snake Oil and uh that kind of thing and i think that 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 the exploration of who he was is etc is sort of happening a bit more now certainly um sort of but but that tonally doesn't really come across what comes across in this is some of the drug stuff and a lot of boo stuff and still bits of that sort of noughties atheism mm. yeah uh, very much so yeah that um again i think we've mentioned this before but uh, it doesn't sort of impress or stun your typical british citizen as much as it does maybe a united states citizen or what have you someone from a, a more outwardly religious culture I mean, one thing I will say about the, you know, like the the atheism, which uh, I think you're right, is a is a big theme in this album, mm. is like I don't think it quite. Like re-listening to it this week, I, I don't think it's aged terribly, and I don't think that he's because obviously we find militant atheism like a little bit lame. Like you, I mean, you can I'd just go so believe. far as to say cringe. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah, but I, I don't think that this is. 
too cringe. I think that there no, are some I, really good points in, you know, Best God in Show and in Blasphemy. Oh, no. It it is it's it's got the flavor of that whole thing. I remember yeah. um who's that guy? Um uh Bill Maher. He does yeah. that TV show uh where he talks to people and it's increasingly just become old man yells at cloud it very much um, is isn't it <laughs> but just in case cloud has pronouns um and uh, <laughs> doesn't doesn't know what it is my pronouns are cumulus nimbus um so <laughs> you know um and and sort of at this point he'd be saying that but it was always that thing of uh no i hate all religions but islam's probably the worst one it's like <laughs> mm. You got so close to making a point there. Um, so he, so nearly based and now debased. But um, <laughs> but he'd also do that thing where he'd sort of look directly down the camera while he was making a point, and whilst un, from under a cocked eyebrow, like because God doesn't exist, and it's like oh, fucking hell, mate. <laughs> now what? It's like uh, it, like you can imagine he's the sort of kid who wore a suit to school even though he didn't have to it's just like yeah we get it you're an intellectual well done fucking hell <laughs> um so there's an element of that but it is a lot more interesting like well we t- take the two songs that i think represent it the most which is blasphemy brackets the victimless crime mm-hmm. and the best god in show well, i think uh, best god in show is a more successful song in what it sets out to do, I think. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say that Blasphemy is a more fun song to listen to, but Best oh. God in Show probably has a better message. I think Blasphemy is is a deliberately provocative. Yeah, yeah, and and you know, and and as far as that, and but it is still smarter than your average fuck religion song. Well, to their credit, I think uh, this album in particular is a great example of what Frank Turner was saying on his episode, where he's like. He's impressed by NoFX about how they constantly have this sort of like what was it like a a three a three sixty revolving door of fuck yous where they're kind <laughs> yes. of upsetting everyone. So yes. you know like that and they they try not to weight it on either side. So as you mentioned, you know like a lot of atheism tends to drift into hatred towards Muslims, and this yes. is much more rounded. Like they really do give each um, religion their due. And it isn't sort of like weighted against one in particular. Yes, and and I think that's that's to. I think there's also that thing of uh, if if say a uh, an atheist were to um, criticize uh, a way or some way that um, Islam is specifically practiced by certain members of that community. Mm-hmm which is a, a totally reasonable thing uh, to do, then I think there's some of them who would balk at the idea of uh, someone who was sort of as devout but Christian, say, going, yes, absolutely. You go, look, I don't fucking agree with you either. I don't want you on my... You know, none of you are on my team. I think that's the kind of uh, vibe I get from uh, Blasphemy. And it is just a sort of a deliberately provocative, snotty punk song. Whereas I think uh, Best God in Show is actually a slightly more thoughtful um, look at the hypocrisy that um, some religious people can display when they're already certain that they're correct so everyone else can go fuck. 
Absolutely. And I think what really sets this album out apart from other stuff is uh, I think that Mike's songwriting again has improved. Uh, mm-hmm. I think we say this about each album, but I do think there's a noticeable improvement with each album. Because I mean, I think there are songs on this album that don't deserve to be as good as they are. Mm-hmm. And they are pushed into, you know, being like good songs purely by the the, the skill on the songwriting. Um, mm. I, I don't know, like, I think it'd be really easy for some of these songs to drift into being bad album tracks, but they actually stand out as, as, as quite well written for me. That's interesting because I, I, I find this album to be sort of, sort of forgettable in a very strange way. It's not sure. one that hangs around with me. Um, particularly which is which is a shame because i do genuinely like some of them and i think it's also quite a well-paced album in that um the sort of more keyboardy or less sort of straightforward punk rock songs turn up when they're sort of needed as a refresher that you know and so yeah it's it's a strange one i've been i've been sort of i've been listening to this for the last week and trying to sort of get a handle on it and there's something about it that just misses a bit for me and i mm. don't i still don't quite know what it is well, well, let's, I, let's go back. I do think this sounds different to like all of their other work and i don't mean sonically from a production mm. standpoint which is what we we normally talk about you know how so long sounds so different to everything else yeah. i think this sounds different in terms of like how it is written um i, I think there's I, I think this is the most mainstream they get in terms of like how they sound like I I think that this um uh I I feel like this is almost like the sort of if you found like someone who was into like your green days and your little bit like your your more mainstream side of of punk rock you were trying to get yeah 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 yeah, absolutely I think if you gave them this album they'd be like oh okay yeah I think I like no effects and they'd listen to their more quintessential albums and they'd be like oh i'm not too sure yes i suppose so i think it's probably even more mainstream than say war on errorism yeah i think it is because yeah even though you've got franco on american on there you've also got idiots are taking over and you've got um two jealous agains and you've got some very very fast and yeah yeah well Aside from my orphan year, this album doesn't really have serious songs. A lot of them are quite silly. Yes, I suppose. I suppose best God in show gets close. Yeah, but um, close. But even then, tonally, it's sort of kind of yeah, exactly, kind yeah, of jovial in it. Um, yeah, well, let's go back. So we got we called it America which uh, a lot of guitar solos on this one as well. Yeah, I was just about to say, yeah. this is the guitar solo album in, when it comes to no effects. I think so, yeah, certainly of the Hefe era, because they did have it on uh, on like the like liberal animation and stuff like that. But but, um, but like the, the solos on this like hmm. really rip. And like, it's really like, um, there's a lot of like classical guitar influences in this. Oh, sorry, I mean, in terms of like, you know, classic rock like a lot right, of the solos feel not not Debussy no of course <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but you know like yeah, yeah. some of these solos wouldn't feel out of place on a Kiss record like they're they're yeah. really I don't know 
Yeah, well, like the like we called it America opens with a guitar solo. Yeah, and All right. you know, I really setting out the stall for this album because mm. that isn't really what we've heard off of No Effects previously. So to start with such a a long guitar solo, I don't know, very interesting. Yeah, it's uh, I it is, there does appear to be sort of more focus on sort of guitar showing off on this one maybe than other ones. But then yeah. Uh, so yeah, so we called it America. Which is that sort of um, a social political thing rather than party politics um, and just sort of about, uh, again, about a decline uh, and what have you. And then uh, and then the quitter, which I think sonically feels very similar to We Called It America, but is about when uh, someone is lame and stopped doing a drug. <laughs> well, that was written by the same guy who wrote Fuck Day 6 about going to rehab oh got it mate um so it's um it's a strange one but uh you know i quite like it it's um i, I think again the, the the guitars on this album uh, again they're getting sort of progressively less and less gainy the 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 distortion yeah. is less and less which i like a lot and it actually my i think my favorite guitar tone on this album is in first call that uh, sure, yeah, jagged, yeah. Um, trebly, uh, the stabs in uh, first call because I like first call a lot. I do as well. I, now it's I'm really super catchy. I'm really surprised. Because I thought that you would hate first call because of its content. I guess what it's about. No, 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 no. I don't, um, I don't really have a because the thing is, it's just a sort of. It's just a song about drinking to excess. And it's not like I could sit there and go, well, I don't think that's any good. Oh, Dropkick Murphys. You know, it's not, um, <laughs> it's, you know what I mean? It's like that. that it's not, I, I don't have a problem. I'm not, I'm not a drug user. I, I drink very rarely these days. Um, but I, I enjoy uh, both of those things, have enjoyed both of those things. And I do sort of get the appeal, but I also think that, um, first call is it's about well because the thing is is that um the thing i always liked about drinking wasn't actually being drunk it was getting drunk yeah sure um i enjoyed the process uh but unfortunately the process doesn't last forever you uh you then eventually find yourself being drunk but uh first call really was evocative of the times when you've just found a way of being able to pace yourself to maintain a certain level of inebriation that means you're still always ever so slightly getting drunk. It's, it's, I know I'm going to, and I'm going to keep mentioning this to this, in this episode, and I don't Mm -hmm. care. The, the songwriting on this is brilliant. Like Mm -hmm. the, the way that each, um, you know, like, like, like the bridges are just as strong as the verses are just as strong as the choruses. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I think it's really well put together. The, the lyrics, sit together lovely and it's another one of those uh, fat mike classics because you get lots of you know name checks of popular people from the punk scene um and i don't know it feels a song that's very lived in yes uh yeah the real mckenzie's uh, uh, what i also like is that it 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 feels like the real mckenzie's and the loved ones Mm -hmm. act as these weird little like borrower creatures who live in <laughs> fat mike's house like fat mike's going right i'm just gonna go and pour myself a drink 
the real Mackenzies. <laughs> yeah. And they were like, okay, the new, eh? Because they're from Canada, uh, irrespective of what anyone says. Uh, and, uh, and you know, then they scuttle off into their mouse hole. And he goes, right, well, I'll go and have one of these drip The loved ones. And they're all there going, <laughs> and then run off. Um, and, uh, yeah, so that that's why I like that, that song as well. But, no, I do, I do like it. It's not, it's not that I hate uh, the songs about drugs. I just sort of... I, I just I just find I find a lot of them very enjoyable, but I just sort of there's always this little bit where it feels like you're supposed to be impressed. Yeah, and, and that's the only bit I take exception with, really. Yeah, that's fair. So uh, whilst I do make fun of it all, that's uh, that's how it is. But yeah, yeah. First call because um, it goes from sort of the jauntiest song into easily the bleakest. Because uh, I, um, re-listening to this album, I was actually quite surprised with the track listings. I don't know if I've listened to it out of order previously mm. or what, but I, I'm really surprised that the blasphemy comes a bit later because, and that my orphan year comes mm. so early because of how much of a tone shift it is. Um, I, I, I'm kind of surprised that blasphemy isn't right after the quitter. So then you'd have like three of like the the easier, faster songs, and then into like the more um, layered music of First Call and My Orphan Year. I I think Blasphemy might be to pick the people up out of My Orphan Year. Yeah, I think you're right. Because yeah. My Orphan Year, which we shouldn't skirt over. Because, no, not at all. Because uh, it's I I think it might be the strongest song on the album well it, it i almost chose it as my favorite nrfx track wow yeah it's um like it's, it's definitely excellent. in my top five it's excellent there's an acoustic version of it as well mm. um which is even starker um it's just sort of very likely finger picked but uh yeah it sort of starts out the mournful guitars barely being touched like really really light picking on it and stuff um it's uh Mike has a few songs about his parents. Mm-hmm. And this is sort of the first major one. I mean, there's first mention you get for his mum is in Doornails from Wolves and Wolves Clothing. And that's just about when he smoked a joint with her and how she bailed him out of prison. So it's sort of, you know, not it's not about their relationship writ large it's about two very specific instances within it but this one you know talking about how his parents both died of long diseases and you know the guilt he feels about not being as good a son or as attentive a person as he could have been and all the rest of it it transpires there there is more to both of these stories that we do find out on later albums Mm -hmm. Uh, one of which was the koki the clown album uh, not the EP by no effects, but the album that Mike recorded as Koki the Clown, uh, which talks about uh, precisely, uh, which talks about more detail about his mother's passing. And um, yeah, I mean, I'd say listen to the Koki the Clown album because it is very, very good, but um, content warning for everything. It's really, <laughs> it's really, it's it's pretty bleak. Uh, but very, very good. 
Uh, anyway, so yeah, so my orphan year, I think, is because um, I think going from first call to my orphan year is is quite deliberate in that um, yeah. my orphan year does feel like an anxiety hangover. Yeah, absolutely. And um, one thing that I noticed on re-listening to my orphan year is uh, I think my orphan year is a lot more similar to linoleum than I had previously realized. It's kind of like a minor key linoleum. I know it starts with that slow guitar thing. I think that's almost been added in so that you don't notice how similar it is to oh. linoleum musically. Oh. Because when it actually goes into like the, the fast bit of uh, My Orphan Year, right after, you know, like sort of like the slow guitar intro, mm -hmm. that is a similar way that linoleum kicks in with like the speed of the kick drum and the way that they move through the chord, except it's in like a, a minor key rather than like... Yeah, the chord I sequence think... isn't quite the same, but I, I, yeah. I see what you mean, actually. Yeah, there's no... Um... Uh, and there's the 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 octave chords and stuff like that giving the the tonality to it yeah yeah and then it like yeah. slows down and builds into the verse like following that i, I don't know like i think it's <laughs> oh yeah i think it's quite similar but but i think they've been quite clever in how it has the intro and the outro of that quiet guitar line i think that tricks you into not thinking that they're yeah. quite similar because if it did just start with the fast bit you'd be like oh great linoleum <laughs> <laughs> that's interesting that's very interesting i um yeah it's like a sad linoleum i i guess it is it is a, a sad linoleum uh interesting um that's that's funny I hadn't really considered that, but I think you're right. Yeah, I, I've listened to this album so much, and I've only yeah. noticed that this week. So. Fair enough. No, no, that's good. I'll, um, it's weird because I don't normally go back and listen to uh, any of these albums. Yeah. After we've done the episode, because we're, well, one, we've got another one to be getting on with, um, but also it's sort of you feel like you've earned a break from it, which is a sad way to think about music, but uh, such is such is the way. Hello everyone, Eddie here. Red and I hope you're enjoying our show. If you have been and would like to help us make it a little more easily, then you can donate to us at our coffee page, which is ko-fi.com forward slash punk rock elite, or you can look in the show notes for our link tree. If you can't help us financially, we totally understand, but would love it if you spread the word to other people who would like this podcast. We thank you for your continued support. We massively appreciate it. Back to the show. So my orphan year uh, finished, and then we got Blasphemy to pick us back up again. Yeah. Uh, stop all the crying. And that is the uh, so the, the fast um, atheist song. Yeah, I, I really like Blasphemy. I'd love to hear this live more. Mm. Um, yeah, I, I think this is a great song and I'm surprised it isn't held in slightly higher regard in terms of no effects is back catalog. I think that this mm. is a, both a funny and poignant song. I think it's doing what no effects does best in that it's yeah. sort of like serious and very silly at the same time. Yeah, I think, um, I think, I think if it was on a slightly more iconic album, yeah, it would be held in high regard. I think the, I think the disservice a lot of these songs are being paid is due to the fact that it's on an album that people are kind of eh, about. I'm kind of always surprised that 
uh, Franco on American doesn't appear on this album because it feels tonally more in line with this than a lot of the stuff that's actually on War and Errorism. Yeah, although I, yeah, who knows? I know this I isn't don't... a political album necessarily, but... Not in the same way, no, again, it's... But musically it's... and in the way that this album kind of drifts towards the mainstream, I, I feel that with Franco on American as well. It does. If Franco on American pops up on here, I don't think it would sound wildly out of place. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, uh, you know, I always like to count in how many songs it is into an album before I start having a look at the skip button. <laughs> and upon seeing the counter go from track number five to track number six, my hand is almost immediately jerking out to press skip before I've even noticed it because we've reached <coughs> Creeping Out Sarah. I have such a strange relationship with this song. <laughs> Easily it's, done. It's an odd song. It's, um, again, I think it's annoyingly well-written because I want to hate it and I want to dislike it, but the the verses do flow into each other quite in, in quite a satisfying way. And so I can't say it's a bad song. But what I think is really odd about this song is how much they insist on playing it live. I have seen this song <laughs> twice live. And I, if there is one song on this album I do not want to hear live, it's this one. Like, so much great stuff on the rest of the... I would honestly love to hear every single one of these songs live apart from Creeping Out Sarah, and I've heard it twice. What are they doing? Uh, deliberately upsetting people, I shouldn't wonder. Um, <laughs> it's. <sighs> I, I have a theory that it's actually about um, tempo, and I think that they do fast songs, and then they feel that they need to put in slow songs here and there in their set, and I think this works as a sort of like a palate cleanser after a load of fast songs. Um, yeah. So I think and that's best why God in show that. couldn't do that. No, I agree. I think there are other things they could choose. Yeah, but it is best God in show. Yeah, that's a long one. That's like three and a half minutes. Oh yeah, that's true. Um, this is only just under t- under three minutes though, so I don't know. Yeah, well, it, the thing, I mean, if one wanted to be generous, and in the case of creeping out, Sarah. I'm not necessarily sure I want to be. But as a mental exercise, to be generous, this is a song where Mike is very much telling on himself. And at no point does he make out he's being anything less than wildly inappropriate. Yeah. This doesn't excuse the inappropriateness. Um, and in fact, I think it's probably one of the, um, we spoke about, with Frank Turner, we spoke about the song Birmingham from um, Single Album. Yeah. About Fat Mike being in a hotel room in Birmingham, Birmingham, England, and um, drinking and doing drugs by himself whilst being very sad. And he sort of makes out like this was a sort of a very low point in his chemical dependency period. I would argue the picture he paints in Creeping Out Sarah of himself Mm -hmm. is as sad and pitiful. 
yes as that but it's done with a jaunty little keyboard and some funny lyrics about lesbianism yeah and i think what saves yeah sorry carry on no i just i think what saves the song is that i don't think that he is condoning his behavior in the song i think it is a song about him being a dick oh yeah no absolutely it is it is that and i don't and i i think the the problem that there's been with the reception of this song not a problem but one of the one of the aspects of the reception of this song is that because no effects have a history of deliberate provocate provoca- provocation provocation deliberate provocation i mean look at the song directly before it as well <laughs> yeah um so maybe that wasn't the greatest pairing of tracks um but you know that that aspect of it means that people go oh fat mike is doing another one of his sillinesses um and i think i have seen like little interview clips of tegan and sarah talking about the song they're like yeah that was gross we didn't like it very much um and uh, <laughs> and uh, although we did you know we liked uh, we did like we listened to no effects a lot when we were younger and stuff because tegan and sarah as i understand it's a sort of one of those punk adjacent yeah folk duos i think they appeared on a a bad religion tribute album yeah and didn't they they appeared on a against me track as well didn't they oh they may well have done um and uh although uh although in that interview tegan says although it is true that i am the cooler one so uh they didn't seem too outraged which is um but in fact in fact we'll get to another one on the on frisbee which is the vinyl version if you buy this album on vinyl it's called frisbee ah very good yeah and it has a picture of eric melvin in a competitive frisbee uniform catching the disc like a uh, like a frisbee oh that is eric melvin yeah yeah how lovely um and uh and honestly it's called creeping out tegan and it's got different lyrics because mike wasn't sure whether he was speaking to tegan or sarah so he wrote (laughs) he wrote both songs or uh i think that i think they're broadly similar but just different bits about the specifics so that's Uh, but in there yeah he's talking about you know asking about whether he can score some pills or cocaine um and stuff like that. So I think it's sort of, yeah, I think it's up there with as as sad an image as Birmingham, but maybe with a but with a sort of a, a candy coated shell. <laughs> so yeah, it's um, there must have been a better song. Yeah, I feel like I feel like it's like here is like this is like Mike's penance for being an awful person. It's almost like well, he keeps playing it live. His penance shouldn't be our penance. (laughs) Very good point. Yeah, you'll not you'll not hear any arguments from me on that front. (laughs) This should not be in your live set, Mike. What are you doing? Yeah. Come on. Twice. Uh, I've seen it twice. Twice. Come on. 
Honestly. Which technically means you'll have seen it once well and once badly. I've seen it at Download Festival and Slam Dunk Festival. I'm like, why is this in a festival set? Let alone, like, (laughs) even if you were touring Coaster, why would that be in your set? If you were touring Coaster, you know, we called it America. Yeah. The Quitter. Um, Blasphemy. Yeah, maybe Blasphemy. I think there's so many, like, honestly, like, uh, Agony of Victory, I think, would be great live. There's, There's so much of it that would be. Mm. Uh, I'm an alcoholic would be great live. First call would be great live. Yes. All of them would be great live. Even Eddie Bruce and Paul would be good live. Well, speaking of Eddie Bruce and Paul, I I mean, for a, a no effects song to last nearly four minutes, don't mm. ask me the decline. For a typical I'm not looking at the right one, yeah. For a typical no effects song to last nearly four minutes, um, that's really quite something. Um, I really like this song because it's it, the history of Iron Maiden, a history of Iron Maiden, done as as a uh, as a, a sort of a, a homoerotic soap opera. Well, it, it's weird, isn't it? Because like usually, No Effects' music is about the history of punk rock. Yes. So so strange that we've got a song about heavy metal here. Well, I know I do know that Fat Mike has said that he thinks Iron Maiden went to shit when Paul left the band. Paul Diano, the original singer from Iron Maiden and Killers, and that uh, he'd sort of lost interest in them after Bruce Dickinson joined. Um, presumably because the songs got longer, the solos got longer, it all became a bit. Um, a bit the Iron Maiden we know today, whereas um, mm-hmm. early doors Iron Maiden, which I really like, uh, I, rem- I remember the the happiest I've ever been about hearing something at a festival was at uh, Leeds Festival one year, and it was announced Iron Maiden were one of the headliners, and it was announced that Iron Maiden would be doing a set comprised of exclusively the first four Iron Maiden albums, which <laughs> is. Um, uh, which is Iron Maiden, Killers, Number of the Beast, and Fear of the Dark. And I was like, th- th- for me, there's not really any other Iron Maiden. You know, that, that's the, the Iron Maiden that I like the best. So I was like, this is incredible. There are loads of people with like Seventh Son of a Seventh Son t-shirts on looking all sad. But um, it was just like, this is this is fucking brilliant. And uh, yeah, it was, it was very, very good. But um, yeah, so... I know that Mike, uh, but also he gives the uh, the reason is um, the reason that Paul was kicked out was because he enjoyed cocaine and was a punk. <laughs> because there are some times that Fat Mike gets dangerously close to suggesting that drug users and punks are the most oppressed minority in society. <laughs> <laughs> gets close to it a few times and. Um, it's not his finest look, but yeah. What do you I remember what do you this one? when I when I first heard this song, I was trying to work out what band it was about. Mm. And um <laughs> there was one day where I was like, is this song <laughs> I very I found very like I realized very quickly, but I was like, is this song about the jam? Because I realized that the jam have a member called Bruce and a member called Paul, but they they didn't have an Eddie. So no. like it wasn't them, but like that was the closest I came to like guessing who it was about. It's, it's 
Do you know what? That's good though. That's uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, Bruce Bruce Foxton, who went on to be in Stiff Little Fingers as well. For, oh, uh, did he? Yeah, for a big chunk of time. Yeah, once the jam were uh, were done. He's also uh, in uh, the, the the band from the Jam, who just do like jam numbers, yes. and they they play uh, the venue I work at, Leadmill, quite often. Yeah. Um, but they're um, Leadmill. They're, they're uh, and I don't I don't want to talk. You know, I'm sure he's a lovely guy. They they don't seem I don't know seem quite cantankerous men. <laughs> I mean, if you stage in their career. I mean, yeah. I mean, but then think about who the... having to work with Paul Weller for that long. I, th- I think it's having to have done that, and then also seeing the clear success Paul Weller went on to enjoy, and you didn't. Did you know? Apparently, Paul Weller is, uh, and I, you know, I'm quoting from uh, someone I work with who does know this stuff better than me. But apparently, Paul Weller is the only artist to have got a number one album in every year that he has performed as an artist every year sorry every decade oh right so like like 60s 70s 80s 90s noughties 10s and 20s sorry wasn't the 60s surely oh probably not 60s then no yeah 70s 80s 90s noughties 10s and 20s apparently oh really apparently yes apparently no, 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 no. I'm sure. I'm sure that's. Uh, I'm sure that's likely. And I know. Um... I saw him support Blur recently, and it was one of the most boring half an hour sets I've ever seen. Oh, no. At least it was only half an hour. <laughs> yes, he he seems incapable of humour. He seems a very uh, serious man, Paul Weller. Right, right, yeah. Why on earth would a band with the catalogue the size of Blur and the fandom the size of Blur bother uh-huh. with the support? Well, I, no, I think, you know, like, particularly for big, like, because we, we saw them at Wembley. I think for, right, for big okay, stadium yeah. shows, fair enough. Yeah, yeah, you generally want a band or two to get the party started um, before fair they go enough. on. So they had the Selector, who were very good, oh, cool. uh, Coventry Scar Band, and mm-hmm. then uh, Paul Weller, who I found a bit boring. I I saw Elvis Costello. Oh, yeah. Years ago, let me see. This must be twenty years ago, more than twenty years ago. Um, I yeah, that's right. I just graduated university, so it was less than twenty years ago, but only just. Um, and uh, moved back to Leeds, and uh, my friend Russ, uh, so me and my mate Gav, we moved to Leeds, and he said, uh, "Oh, um, I've got two tickets to see um, Elvis Costello at Leeds Uni tonight." Um, do you want to come along? My friends have dropped out. And we went, yeah, go on then. Two and a half hours, no support. Fucking brilliant, mate. <laughs> it was Elvis Costello and the Imposters. And it was it, Elvis played all the guitar. Uh, they just had a bass player, keyboardist, and drummer. They were fucking insane. Two and a half hours, absolutely brilliant. I was like, fuck me, this was good. I walked in there going, yeah, I know a few Elvis Costello songs. Walked out going, shit, this is good. So... Um, so yeah, so it can be done. I don't know it if you've been yeah. able to do that in Wembley though, but mm. who knows? Who knows? Anyway, uh, so yeah, so Iron Maiden. Um, I do like this song. I like that Hefe gets to uh, flex his um, yes. his maiden muscles a little bit. So that's uh, that's always nice to hear. Yeah, but again, you know, like uh, another song that is written better than it has any right to be, like. 
I don't know, like uh, a song about Iron Maiden from NoFX with lots of guitar solos on paper doesn't sound like the sort of NoFX I want to hear, but it's a great song. Mm. Yeah, it's a strange one. I think uh, I, I think I have appreciated this album a bit more, having listened to it a bit more in depth recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, I remember when it came out, I was like, oh, this is all right. Um, but the only song, in fact, it was the next song that stuck out the most just because it was so different, which is Best God in Show. Yeah. Uh, and again, it's uh, it's a, the the smarter older brother of blasphemy. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's a nice little sonic change. And uh, yeah, can't. Uh, it also features uh, Hefe on the trombone. It, it's kind of like this album's Eat the Meek. I would be reticent to uh, draw that strong a comparison, but I see what you mean. I see what you mean. Um, it's yeah, it's good. I like the little bits where uh, where they have the uh, that sort of dub echo on it. Take anything seriously, Lee, Lee, Lee. You know that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. I like uh, I like those bits because it's done sparingly. But, uh, yeah. yeah, but we've sort of spoken about that a little bit anyway. Uh, suits and ladders, I like. Yeah, I mean, like, I think all of these, you know, I do think this album, aside from Creeping Out Sarah, I think every track is is pretty great. Um, but yeah, Suits and Ladders, a little bit more conventional than the other songs that we've heard so far. It's a little bit more in line with The Quitter, maybe. Mm, yes, there's a lot of... Yes, there is, yeah. Sounding, yeah. sounding riffs on, uh, on this album. Um, it's... Fat Mike was going through his dugger dugger period, uh, so yeah, it, it's a good bit of Mel on here as well. Bit of Mel yell, yeah, some uh, great Mel yell on this. Too much. Um, oh, sorry, I should point out on um, Best God in Show, our friend Jason Freeze uh, back again. He played the saxophone on Anarchy Camp, and he's playing the keyboards on Best God in Show. Lovely. Yep, yep. Uh, so. It's um yeah so yeah I I've not got much to say about suits and ladders I like the bass riff I like uh, a lot of the stuff it's uh, yeah is it superfluous isn't it superfluous, superfluous. sorry Mike he says the, the there's superfluous uh, oh right oh yes 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 sorry you are a superfluous man I think it's superfluous but you know what Mike I'll let I'll let you say superfluous. Yes, it sometimes gets that way. A friend of mine once, um, you know how uh, there's that joke, uh, not just like a pun title, Mediocore, like it's a a joke. A friend of mine years ago had only ever seen Mediocre written down and said it out loud as Mediocore. (laughs) And I said, I think it's pronounced Mediocre. And uh, he said, no, I say Mediocore. He used to do that a lot. He used to read a lot, but he didn't hear stuff said out loud. And what he would do is he'd say, oh, no, I say that as as if you're just allowed to do that. But, uh, you know, it's uh, I I guess you can if you want. (laughs) But uh, it was uh, so, yes, superfluous, man. I don't know. It might have been that he just sang it in tune and they went, no, fuck it. Just keep it. Yeah, it might be that that used to happen quite a lot. He used to sing one line at a time. Back when he wasn't good at singing, so maybe. Um, so yeah, so agony of victory. This is interesting. Um, it is when I hear it, I go, "Oh yeah!" Like it's um, 
if you wrote down the title, uh, The Agony of Victory, I'd be like, what no effect song is that? But then it plays. I'm like, oh, yeah, this, yeah, this, this, this one. Well, that's the funny thing. It says that this is, you know, in the booklet, it says this is not a no effect song. Yeah. And it isn't technically because it was part of Home Street Home. Yeah. But also, this was, so this was released in 2009. It wasn't until 2015 that it was revealed to have been from Home Street Home, the musical. So it said, so this is no effects covering a song by Fat Mike, Soma Snake Oil, and Jeff Marks, who pardon me, uh, was uh, one of the creators of Avenue Q. Yeah. Uh, with whom <clears throat> Mike and Soma uh, wrote, uh, wrote this song, uh, wrote this uh, album. Yeah. Uh, what do you call it? Wrote this um, uh, musical, this uh, this concept album, you know, whatever. Uh, and then sort of around 2015, they released a, a full album of all the songs recorded by uh, different people from different punk bands and what have you. And, um, and this song, as it appears on this album, was no effects contribution to it, I believe. I'm really surprised they don't play this one live more. It has a little bit of a, I, you know, it, it's it's not very similar to sixty percent, but there's something about it that feels very, you know, like um, like you're, you're giving context to the to the the gig that you're playing. If that makes <laughs> any sense. Yes, I define I define success as not working, and I live like a king. Yeah, which is sort of expressed in many many different ways over the years. But yeah, um, I like it. We'll probably have a look at the Home Street Home uh, concept album. Yes, definitely. I mean, that would be a great Frog idea. Way. And also the uh, actual um, live performance of the, the the closing night. I can't remember where it was, somewhere in California, um, uh, which is available on YouTube. I don't know how much they want it to be on youtube but it is so um but it's it, they're both well worth listening to and watching so maybe we'll but yeah i like it it's uh it's it's pretty fun it's uh you know all the rest of it we have possibly the most disposable song coming up next sure i'm an alcoholic yeah it, uh... so like I agree. And particularly at this point, like, I think, yeah, we get it, Mike, you you drink and drinking is in air quotes cool, but mm-hmm. it's, a, it is a, it's a little bit of a banger though, isn't it? <laughs> it's... The problem is, is that it's very good. You've got yeah, Karina that's on the it. problem, isn't ironically it? drink. Um... It's, it's, it's again, it's another one of these songs on this album that ha- is better than it has any right to be. It's, I mean, I don't think this happened, but it's almost like he wrote some really good songs and then did his own like Weird Al Yankovic version of it to be about drinking or whatever. It's, yeah, it's strange. I don't know if that's that's how it happens, but uh, yeah, it's um, it sounds good. It's played really nicely. It's uh... there actually is something a little bit Weird Al about this album, like. Maybe. 
it's it's I think it's a very humorous album through and through. Aside from you know like My Orphan Year or maybe Best God in Show, I, I do think it's. I do you know what I think the most Weird Al song is? I think What's it's that? actually Eddie Paul and Bruce. You might be right. Yeah, if you it, uh, and a non-parody song because hmm. obviously when you say Weird Al, people think of you know another one rides the bus, all the rest of it. Sure, but the ones that he does, the ones that Weird Al does that are not direct word changing parodies uh-huh. and are sort of written in the style of or just about something we like i think doing a thing about the singers of iron maiden but as a sort of drama like a sort of you know you could ex- you know expect this to be some sort of you could expect an anime of this story do you know what i mean yeah sure <laughs> Yeah, so um yeah, so that's I think that's that's the most uh weird owl one to my mind. But yeah, I'm an alcoholic. It's um it it is quite a a, a sort of a, a potted history of Mike's uh decision to do drugs. And it's got that line in it, I decided to spend my life having the best of times. Um, and that's not quite true, Mike. You decided to spend your life telling us about having the best of times. <laughs> and those are two different things, my friend. <laughs> it, it does sound like he's had a very good time. I, that is not in question, absolutely. Um, it's one of those things. It's it's late to the party-itis. It's, uh, sure. Oh, hey, guys, you know that thing you've all been doing? I do that now. Yeah, it is a little bit that, isn't it? There's something a bit, I don't want to say posy about it, but there's something a bit poserish about it's greetings, fellow drug users. It's got a bit of, you know. And I can't help but feel that, you know, like a lot of uh a lot of music like this at the time would have been playing to a younger audience than the, the people writing the music. So I feel like this is an album that would have been listened to by a lot of teenagers. And I think that it's one thing to like glorify drug use to your adult fans, but when you're doing it to like uh, a largely teenage fan base, I find it's, I, I don't want to say, because I, 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 I don't think it's like um, irresponsible or anything. I just think it's a little bit cringe. I think it is. It, I think that's the problem with it, isn't it? I don't think this is a uh, uh, a, a societal ill. Yeah, I think it's a societal cringe. Um, <laughs> I, I t- although to be fair, I don't know how many teenagers were fucking with no effects in the like. Yeah, you might be right. Yeah, I I sort of feel like, and uh, there, obviously there'll be fans in their teens and twenties who are just finding no effect there'll be people in their 30s just finding no effects yeah there there always will be that's just how time works but broadly speaking i think that the era when no effects were mainly courting a teenage and early 20s crowd is behind them by the time we get to 2009 yeah 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 fair i'd say also i don't know how much people want to base their lives on the chemical habits of someone known exclusively as Fat Mike. <laughs> that has an impact. I think, I don't know. Like I said, yeah, it's not It's not because I don't think drugs and positive drug use stories shouldn't be 
discussed. Um, and in fact, some of the uh, some of the most sort of cringe drug content is actually found in Home Street Home, um, more so than um, than No Effects uh, songs. Because you can see an arc, like I say, you do get to the point where you hear Birmingham and you hear about Mike going to rehab and all of these things, which we're still a few years away from. But um, mm-hmm. I think that's where it becomes a sort of, I don't know. I don't know. At the moment, he's very much enjoying it. And he sort of likes the idea of being an alcoholic. You know, first call, he likes the idea of hanging around and just, you know, just doing that. So, but it is also kind of, I don't know, like I say, for someone so comfortably in their 30s at this point, I don't know. Yeah, I, you know, like, I think the you song might be underestimating how much divorce changes a person. I could be. I've never <laughs> been divorced. So, uh, yep, no, you're absolutely correct. Uh, I hadn't considered that. But, yeah. But, again, the song bangs. So Absolutely, it does. So, uh, yep, I like that a lot. Uh, yeah, Spike Slauson and Karina Danike drink uh both uh backing vocals on this um but melvin and hefe also providing vocals on it too so it's sort of a nice broad spectrum of stuff uh and then one million coasters um a uh a song i almost immediately forget the moment it stops playing yeah it is a bit like that it also i don't think feels like a closing track. I don't know. I've always felt like this album doesn't feel like it has an end. It just kind of stops. Yeah. Cause normally at the end of NoFX albums, this is just normally a track that feels very much like an end or there's like a secret track afterwards, but this just kind of ends on a, a, a pretty standard NoFX track. I like it. I think it's enjoyable, but I agree with you. It's quite forgettable. It's, um, it starts off with another guitar solo, so that's nice. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's if you've called the album Coaster and Frisbee purely down to this one song, find a different name and leave it. It's it's fine. It's fine. to be honest, I mean, no, it's fine. Leave it. I suppose it's called Coaster because drinking is a big theme of this album, and it's you know like it's a play on the fact that this CD will be used as a coaster. Yes, um, I think also possibly as a result of digital music being becoming more and more the trend by 2009 good point yeah yeah, yeah. so maybe maybe it was a a comment on what was rapidly becoming dead media as well as drinking sorry and of course the other meaning which i think it might be playing with a little bit where they are coasting at this point in their career they are Mm. coasting the all yes the they are claiming to coast in their sort of 60%, oh, yeah. we're not trying, but we secretly very much are, sort of oh, way. Yeah. Oh, here's another one. <laughs> uh, look at us <laughs> still insisting on this old caper, eh? <laughs> that kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, I think you're right. It's a much cleverer album title than I've been giving them credit for. It is, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, um, yeah. it's. I, uh... I've really enjoyed this. You know what? I, I might even... I don't, because I know I said in our Wolves in Wolves Clothing episode that I'm considering changing what I consider to be my favourite album from Coaster to yeah. Wolves. But then re-listening to this one this week, I'm like, ah, but 
But this all bangs. Like, I know it's short. Creeping out Sarah aside, this is all really, really good. And and again, I think it might, I think my love for this album might be that it's like the first NARFX album that I connected with the most. So, and that seems to be a running theme for what people consider to be their favorite NARFX album. It's normally which album got them into NARFX that becomes their favorite. And albums in general, particularly if they're a band, if you've got a band who has released lots of good albums, mm-hmm. obviously sometimes people go, oh, well, this is my favorite, this album. We go, yeah, that's because that's their only good album. <laughs> yeah. By a really long way, you know, yeah. sometimes, you know, it's that kind of thing. But, you know, if you've got a, a, a you know, like um, there's plenty of, debate over what someone's favorite bad religion album might be right yeah they've got so so many of them and so many of them are really really good and they're all the same (laughs) well (laughs) arguably but they're not but i can see yeah but anyway a lot of people feel that but then a lot of people feel that way that that bad religion have released one album over and over again they like they got it right with suffer and then when they did yeah just 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 make suffer again that seems to work pretty nicely um, and I don't think that's entirely fair, but I, I do understand where people are coming from. Fuck, I'm so middle of the road. Anyway, but, um, you know, and then, but I mean, you know, at least when uh, Bad Religion did it, they wrote that original album. Pennywise have just been doing that with Bad Religion albums anyway. So Yeah, true. Oh, I'm, am I edgy now? <laughs> edgy French. Uh, edgy French. Oh, yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that's... But with no effects where there is, and there is enough variety within those albums for someone's own personal tastes to be sort of represented. If you want something slightly more metallic, then you've got something. If you want something slightly catchier, you've got something. You know, we've got all of these things. You want something more scar oriented or something sort of more upbeat or whatever. You've got it. So, but it's an interesting one, isn't it, with the coaster? Because I sort of. It was at this point, sound like the Wonder Years. It was at this point. It was at this point when I was sort of feeling like no effects were at kind of coasting. Yeah. I ceased. I'd, I'd not been getting super excited by their stuff for a little while. Oh, no, that's not true, actually, because Wolves and Wolves Clothing, that's right. I thought Wolves and Wolves Clothing was really good. And then this came out, and I remember not connecting with it as quickly or, you know, as strongly as Wolves yeah. and thinking, ah, is this where it descends? Is this where my love <laughs> for this band? Because I'd gotten used to that idea by that point where I go, well, there comes a point where you just go, this band no longer does stuff that connects with me, but that's okay. Yeah. And I think that was actually slightly cemented by the next album. Oh, what have we got after this one? Self-entitled. Right, yeah, I don't but, really think I've listened to that. <laughs> but interestingly enough, fair enough. But interestingly enough, I always think that I'm not that big a fan of Self-Entitled. And then I look at the track listing and go, oh, no, I like... Oh, yeah, and that. Oh, yeah, that one too. Oh. So... Who knows? Who knows? But uh, yeah, anyway, we're not talking about that one yet. We're talking about Coaster and we've got a few EPs to go in between them as well. Yeah, I've really enjoyed re-listening to this one. I feel like this one more than 
uh, any of the other, and I know I say this in basically every episode, but I'm genuinely super interested in people's views and thoughts on this album. Whether you hated it, whether you liked it, I'm really interested to hear what people's thoughts are because I've always felt like I'm in the minority for loving this album. But then like I talk to people and... And I don't know, like, I get the feeling that maybe people don't dislike it as much as they said on its release. Oh, well, I mean, what people say on the release of an album should never be paid attention to because (laughs) you've got to wait for the next album before you decide the previous album was a masterpiece and this new one is dog shit. Yeah, Um, true. (laughs) That's that's the rules of enjoying music. Um, So so that's, yeah. uh, And I... Because I don't really know, but at the time this came out, I was sort of quite alone in the sense that there weren't many other No Effects fans in my immediate circle. So I was sort yeah. of listening to this in a bit of a vacuum. Sure. And albums are contextualized by the people with whom you share them or or discuss them or anything like that. I understand, you know, I'm not saying other people decide how you receive an album, but how you're feeling, your mood and and all the rest of it does, will have an impact on how, what your relationship is with an album. Uh, It can't just be on whether the album is good or not, because that's not just how humans work. So, you know, um, so yeah, so I suppose I was I was receptive, but uh, didn't. I think I thought there's been a corner turned, and I think also the uh, the slightly cringe chemical um, stuff was a bit like, oh, come on. So there was that, and the sort of the popular atheism sort of all blended together. But it's weird because the album is so much better than those elements could prevent it from being yeah absolutely so yeah so uh yeah do email in like red said punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com because yeah we would love to hear what you've got to say about this one um yeah because we've we've not really a lot of these albums we've sort of had a bit of a consensus on but i don't don't think we're uh, quite on the same page uh, when it comes to this one so i'll be interested to see what uh, our listeners have to say yeah absolutely cool all right nice one well that was coaster uh we'll see you in the outro we shall ah coaster lovely lovely coaster lovely lovely coaster i think we were all uh all a little bit uh a little bit surprised um well, I was anyway, but that's uh, it's, uh, it's pretty good. We've got some correspondence. Oh, yeah. Yes. Uh, Joe McLachlan, who uh, who has contacted me on, the, on his uh, work email. <laughs> uh, so there we go. Where does he work? Uh, I'm not going to say because you oh. might not you might not want that out there in the ether didn't work anywhere embarrassing it's not like you know i work at the puppy slaughterhouse it's not it's not that it's it's, it's a perfectly respectable place but you know uh that kind of thing also isn't that virtually doxing yeah but he's done it (laughs) 
But yeah, it, I mean, only by virtue of the email. I mean, clearly, can has you been dox listening. yourself? Um, I'm not sure. <laughs> by mistake, possibly. But yeah. also, um, you know, there are probably a lot of Joe McLachlan's. True. But, but if you narrow it down to a workplace, then all of a sudden it's a lot more. Anyway. He starts, hi, Ed, Red, and Eddie. I know this doesn't work, but I wanted to say it, so I did, and that's punk. Fair enough. Absolutely down with the definition of punk. Really enjoyed your recent episode with Liam Walton and the conversation about Vendetta by Irate. Reminded me of a story about my old university punk band. We started out being called Nizamuddin and the Magic Bag of Towels. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the story's long enough. I won't bore you with that. Thank you. Uh, but when we played our first gig at a local open night, the DJ refused to say the name in full and introduced us as the Towels. <laughs> now, the thing is, is that that does really feel like a movie. You know what I mean? It feels like an origin story. But, you know, okay, cool. Uh, which we were not happy with. And it stuck, or which we were happy with, and it stuck. Months later, I received a message on MySpace, all right, dating yourself a little, I like it, from a journalist from an American music magazine, not sure what it was called, this was about 15 years ago, asking if it was okay to contact us about something he was writing. I immediately assumed we'd broken America. <laughs> we're about to be invited <laughs> on the walk tour. I'd have done the same thing. <laughs> But much to my disappointment, he just wanted to chat about an article he was putting together about bands with the same name. <laughs> oh, that stings. We were vaguely aware of another of another band in the US called The Towels, having done the cursory MySpace search to check. But we lived in Sunderland, so we didn't think there was going to be much conflict. Plus, we'd listened to the stuff they had on their MySpace page, and it was utterly woeful. All right, shots fired. <laughs> <clears throat> It's it, you're probably right. I, I'm going to trust your your taste here. Uh, this journo and myself fired a few emails back and forth until I suddenly stopped hearing from him. Catfished. So sorry, Joe. Mm. I figured he just realised we were terrible and dropped us from his article. A few weeks later, I received an email from a different address containing a cease and desist order from the Towels U.S. lawyer, claiming that they had the name trademarked and that we had to immediately stop performing under that name. Who? the towel well guys the towels is what's going to make us famous so we better trademark this shit straight away (laughs) fuck me this is brilliant joe thank you so much we had a conversation about whether or not it was serious enough to bother with but decided we didn't have the resources to fight it if they did come for us so we changed our name a couple of times to squinting pony i like that that's all one word as well unless joe just neglected to put a space there and the Don't Sue Me's, which I actually really like, before uh, settling on the X towels, we thought it was funny. I also wrote a sadly never recorded song about the experience, which we called Godzilla Christmas, named after their most streamed song on MySpace. <laughs> <laughs> The towels are whipping each other. Oh, mate, straight up. They should have done a split. (laughs) Whipping each other. The the towels and the towels. (laughs) 
that would have been well too late now maybe anyway folks love the show really been enjoying getting back into no effects as a result of it sorry for mentioning myspace so often joe you have nothing to apologize for my friend p.s here's their godzilla Cru- joe you've even sent the other towels song godzilla christmas uh here's my old band on Bandcamp. i don't expect you to listen i felt like i should put it here anyway we could have been on warped tour you know quite right um the x towels Bandcamp. i'm going to put that in the description for the show uh because that story uh i think was good enough to warrant a cursory listen by anyone who enjoyed that story i think so we'll put the x towels into Bandcamp, and we will ignore godzilla christmas by the towels us <laughs> but uh thank you ever so much joe that was uh that was hugely hugely entertaining and uh, enjoyed that greatly that's about it for for this week do you have anything uh coming up this week chris uh chris do you have anything coming up this week red sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got a message from someone called Chris and then went to say a name and the only name I could think of was Chris. Red. Uh no, I don't think so. I've got like quite a nice like chill week which I'm very much enjoying uh just trying to get some like, you know, uh boring office work done. Um and yeah, and also trying to finalize the lineup for Manchester Punk Festival which is almost finished. Mm. Um so I'm mostly just working on those projects at the moment. Lovely. Um what about yourself? If you are in Hull on the 28th of October, you can see me and my friend Chris. <laughs> there you go. That's why. <laughs> um, under the name Discount Comedy Checkout at Hull. Great. Um, I think I think two shows. I think there's an early show and a late show. Oh, that's really cool. So that's fun. So I think, yeah, so the early show probably starts about seven and then the other one probably about nine. So uh we'll be on I don't know who else with. We only got booked for it the other day. So which suggests that we're a replacement, but you know, if we have to replace <laughs> anyone, we will do. Uh or you can uh come to archive in Leeds on Kirkstall Road the day after this is released. So if you if you uh at Kirkstall in Leeds uh archive I'll be comparing there but um like i say it is the day after this episode is released so you might have missed it if you didn't catch up but that's all right cool thanks a lot red thank you eddie we will see you all next time for some more punk rock elite bye 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 thank you for listening to punk rock elite it was a pick scraped and fruitcake co-production by eddie french and red redmond if you're not following us on instagram or subscribe to the podcast please do the main theme and production was done by eddie french please contact us at punkrockelitepodcast at gmail.com thank you